Customer advocacy platform Mention Me recently hosted Advocacy Engineered, the world's leading event on the power of customer advocacy. More than 200 senior marketers from brands including Puma, Deliveroo, Charlotte Tilbury, Marks & Spencer, John Lewis, Farfetch, and other big names joined us in London to hear from industry experts on how to drive sustainable business growth in the tough times ahead. This podcast series presents the live recordings of each of our speakers on the day. The one you're about to listen to features Kate McGee, editor of Management Today, interviewing Ash Schofield, CEO at GIFGAF. Thanks everybody for being here and thanks Ash for joining us today. GIFGAF is genuinely different to its competitors. You're a community-driven business that's got no call center. Members answer questions on the forums. They make business decisions for you and it seems to be working. You've got the highest NPS score in the industry with high 60s and um, lots of businesses are very envious of your approach. And interestingly, your kind of customers as members approach was baked into the company at its inception. I think that's sort of very different from others. So can you just talk about a little bit about how that kind of approach came about? And I'm particularly interested that you say you had a community before you had anything to sell. How did you manage that? Um, so we go back to 2009. and um, The industry was still quite self-serving uh, in mobile. There were still lots of uh, new customer-only type adverts, right? The kind of thing that if you'd already signed a contract, you'd be super annoyed about. And um, our founder, a guy called Gab Thompson, had, had uh, become the head of strategy over at O2. And he'd, uh, he'd wangled his way to get to a conference. It was one of those classic 2.0 conferences in, in, uh, in, on, on the West Coast there. And uh, when he realized, when he got there, it, it was a rubbish conference. And he was like, oh, I'm going to get fired, you know. So on, on the way back, he got his notebook out and he started scribbling some things in his notebook about what if mobile was different? What if we kind of subverted the model and, and, and changed it? What if, what if kind of um, customers or even members, what if they were the boss, right? And, and, he, and he wrote down a few principal points. Uh, and the first one was, was this thought of, of mutuality, that, that members would be involved in running the business for some kind of collective good. You know, so that, th those were the kind of the big thought. But what he also scribbled was it should be fair, right? It should be a fair exchange. Um, there should be value in it, you know, for both parties. It should be digital first, which bear in mind 2009 we're talking, everything's digital first now, isn't it? But, but back then that was quite a, that was quite a big thought. Um, it should um, be sustainable. Again, quite a big thought back in 2009. Uh, and it should have a, a startup mentality. So in, in many ways, it, it should have nothing to do with O2 other than use O2's network. So he thought he'd saved his job. Um, we still got a, a picture of his book to this day, and we, we hold all of those principles very dear. And our objective ever since has been about scaling those ideas, really, and, 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 and delivering it to a size and scale that maybe it was possible. So now we're a kind of half a billion pound business getting close to 4 million members. And um, I think there's a fair bit of growth in this left yet. Sounds great. Um, tell us why you're different to your competitors, briefly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it's, it's the mutuality at the heart of it, right? Um, you, you heard this morning from Fred about Net Promoter Score. You know, I, it shocks me, it still shocks me now, that, that in the, the telco industry, 
when you look at um, satisfaction on, on any study I've ever seen, banking is higher than telco. I mean, think about that. Really? Um, I kind of think the industry should be ashamed of itself. It's, it's providing an essential service. We, we all needed it more than ever uh, over the last couple of years through, through lockdown. So, so we think that that kind of thought of mutual benefit is, is what makes the difference. Uh, and, and members participate in, in, in how we run it. And, and they do that in, in, in three very key ways. There are, there are front line of, of service, because most questions that people ask around mobile have been asked before. Um, and we've got a whole bunch of knowledgeable people within our community that will answer those questions, usually in about 30 seconds. The average wait time for a call center is about 17 minutes. So, so it's not doing it cheaper, it's doing it cheaper and doing it, and doing it better. Um, it turns out if you really um, advocate for doing the right thing, um, people will advocate for you. And if you get member, get member as a project in any of the telco, it's probably the last job you have before you leave, because that's, that's quite a hard gig, right? But when you've got a net promoter score in its high 60s, it's quite an easy gig, and, it, and it's our most important channel. So, so a huge route to market for us, which keeps our cost per acquisition down. And then the, the third bit is around um, ideation and, and, and bringing new products to market. So, so our, our members through the community are either a source of, 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 of great either ideas or pressure, because they do put us under pressure, um, about the things that we should do next. Or, or, or they're, they're a great sounding board to help us prioritize or, or test prototypes. You know, it's amazing how much time people will actually give you if you ask and help them be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And I think your business did things a different way around. So as you say, you had a community first and then you created the product for them. And that's different to most businesses. So how did you manage that and why do you think people cared? I mean, we'd call it now Lean UX. You know, we, we, we believe that we should get some product out there so we can get some feedback as soon as we practically can because then you can have a conversation and, and then you can start to develop what people really want as opposed to what you think they want. And in many ways, going back, that's exactly what we did when we launched because um, we thought the mobile industry is kind of broken and we're here to fix it. Want to join us? And so it turned out, yeah, quite a lot of people felt the same as we did and wanted to join that conversation. Once we got them, then it started to spin up possibilities that we hadn't really thought were possible. So the, you know, the three roles, the three crucial roles that I've just outlined of, of service, of, of, of acquisition, and of ideation and testing all became more real and achievable. Hmm. And when, when you're putting together a community like that, do you think they need to be, um, they need to be a cause at the heart of that? Or do they need to feel that like they've got skin in the game in order for that to actually work? Yeah, I mean, it, that model's not gonna work for, for everybody, right? It, it, you, need to have, you need to be trying to do something that, that resonates with people, that people are saying, yeah, I agree with you. Actually, that, that is a problem to be solved. That is something that really gets on my nerves. And if you're here to fix it, I'm with you, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we, I've often tried to kind of capture the, like, the essence of GIFGAF and, and, and what, it's, what it's all about. Um, but one phrase that I kind of keep coming back to is that everything we do needs to have a, a level of infectious purpose about it. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it needs to like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm leaning into that. I want to get involved. And, and when I came in as, as, 
as marketing director, because I wasn't there from the start. I can't, can't take credit for that. I joined three years in. But, I, but it was a room smaller than this. It was about 40, 50 people. And, and I realized there were about five or six people that, for me, seemed to define the culture of GIFCAF. And I thought, at that moment, um, you're all going to leave, right? Everybody leaves at some point, right? But, but if, those, if those people leave, I can't let the culture walk out the door. So, so what I wanted to do was try and capture what we had. And I started to write it down. And I asked the people to step up to be culture champions. And we, we wrote a book of gift gaff, lots of pictures. Um, but it, you know, it says a lot with those pictures about, about who we are. And we just started to evolve and become very conscious, very intentional about what we did and why we do it and, and try and pay that forward into our recruitment. So we, we always try and hire for infectious purpose. We don't want ordinary. We want people to come in that have, have got the same burningness as we have to keep making it better. And, and the deal that I did on the, the first day that I presented to, to the whole company, I kind of felt incumbent to explain why I was there. You know, and at that point, I've been in the mobile game for about 14 years and been complicit with some of the evil things that the other people in mobile companies had done, you know, and, and was looking for redemption, you know. And, and, and I said that I'd like to make a deal with you because I said, I'm only here because you are the last interesting place in mobile. I know I think it's about mobile. I said, but here's a deal I want to make. Every day we should make decisions that make us more like the perfect articulation of gift gaff. So uh, in honor of, of, of Gav's original scribblings, mm -hmm. um, what we shouldn't do is make decisions that just make us like everybody else. Because I know how that plays out and the world doesn't need another, you know, I won't name them, but all the, all the other networks that, you, that are famous. We don't, we, don't, we don't need more of them. The world needs more of a, of a gift gaff. So, so that was the deal and that's what we've, mm -hmm. we've set out to do. I love that idea of infectious purpose, but a lovely quote. Um, you can't say it, can you, without getting just a little <laughs> bit tingly, I find. <laughs> yeah. Infectious purpose. Um, so you have those six principles still written down somewhere that you're doing that. I think a lot of the time when we talk in business, and certainly about purpose, there's lots of purpose washing going on at the moment. Um, in business, we often talk about what you're going to do, and you think that's going to define you as different. But actually, we don't pay attention to the things that we're actually we shouldn't do and I think that's quite, quite interesting with your approach, that that really helps you sort of focus in on what you're going to do differently. So can you just talk about what you choose not to do in order to still have that approach? Um, you, I'm sure Fred will have talked about, although he gives it a slightly different name, um, but toxic revenue. Yeah, yeah bad, so, bad profit. Bad profit, yeah. I mean, as, as soon as you make one of those short-term decisions, which is really quite a vacuous grab for cash, isn't it? You know, to get you out of a bit of a shitty hole that you might be in in the moment. But, but unfortunately, the, the repercussion of it is it gets baked into your P&L and it gets annualized and it gets bigger. So that dirty secret of how you just screwed over customers to, to generate just a bit of extra profit to hit your numbers in one given year actually magnifies over time. And you, and you end up with a kind of back book that, that is, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of pounds worth of stuff that you can't walk away from. You know, so from a gift gap perspective, you know, when I was talking about that thought, let's make decisions that make us more like perfect articulation of gift gap. I was talking about that because I'd seen toxic revenue elsewhere. And I was like, don't get us addicted to toxic revenue. And as a result, we'll continue to be able to do the right thing for our members. So, um, 
Our members can leave us at any time. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're good value. We're not the cheapest, but we do stupid things. Well, other people would think they're stupid things if you're running a mobile P&L. And that is we, we write to everybody every month to tell them whether they're on the, the right plan or not. We call them goodie bags. So if you, you know, you're spending 20 quid, we think you should be spending 10, we tell you. Right? Insane, right? But, but it turns out most people ignore us because they know best and they're spending 20 pounds for a reason. That's cool with us. We did the right thing. Um, but it's the most talked about feature of GiftGav. Mm. Because, you know, when it comes back to that sense of infectious purpose, actually, they're much more likely to say, come and join GiftGav. They won't rip you off. You know, this is what they do. This is how, the, this is how they treat me. Yeah. And, it, you know, if you meet a new friend, you don't immediately lock them into a two-year contract, do you? <laughs> to me, it, just, it seems insane try. to me. <laughs> Can you just give some examples of what you mean by toxic revenue in your business? It, it, it seems crazy to me that, you know, and, and most businesses do this, right? But you, you've, you've got teams of people that are, their main objective is to make sure that people spend more than they originally planned. Well, here's the news, right? People have, people bought a deal because that's how, how much they had to spend. So if you, you end up adding an extra 20% on that, then, then you might feel quite cheerful about it. But, but actually your customers hate you. Because because they were oversold something or you know it doesn't it doesn't kind of work you know so so our objective is to make sure people that are, are spending the right amount for them and, and, and giving that flexibility uh, and transparent value we don't we don't have many tariffs we don't have a a back book everything that we we're selling to you now is exactly what uh, our existing base get mm. and if we change it at the front end then everyone that's on our on our base can immediately switch over to the new deal. You know, so it's 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 very fluid. It creates some challenges through us because some levers there that make a lot of money in the short term and make you just like everybody else. That's that's not, you know, that's not our objective. I think I think that's interesting. I think most people in the room would think that's a lovely approach. What's um, <laughs> <Or> slightly insane? <laughs> or yeah. slightly insane, but I think it's notoriously difficult to put financial metrics on things that kind of intangible like goodwill how do you when you're coming up to your board and you're having to sell this to the board and saying no we're going to step away from toxic revenue and actually we're going to focus on this kind of goodwill of customers and customer loyalty that you know that's more important than actual hard cash how is that conversation how does that conversation go and how does that actually change now in a very kind of economically difficult climate that must get a much harder conversation to have how do you manage that personally I mean, our shareholders are big fans of us because we've delivered growth every single year, you know. Um, and they're big fans of our model because it delivers growth every single year. You know, if it, if it wasn't delivering growth, you know, I'd be, I'd be on me at a different tour right now. Right? <laughs> yeah. so, so, so... And it, is that, sorry, just interrupt, is that customer growth or is that financial growth? Yeah, fin yeah subscriber growth and financial growth, top line, bottom line. So, so, so we're... we're we're a successful business and we believe in the strategy. But, but I guess there's been a couple of real uh, pivot moments. And probably about 18 months into my job at GiftGap as the CMO before I came CEO, uh, I felt that we had the investment uh, media mix completely wrong. In fact, it was the complete opposite of what the textbooks say you should do. We were, we were, we were spending more like 60 or 70% on, on direct acquisition and, uh, and 30 or 40% on brand. And I was like, this is insane. 
Right? It, it, we're a beautiful brand. We've got all these characteristics about us uh, that are very warm and have an emotional attachment, and we're not telling the story. Um, and what we're doing is, is, is paying for clicks. Um, I couldn't actually prove, to your point, mm. that my way was different. What I could prove was the way that we were doing it would deliver diminishing returns. Right? So mm. it's like, look, I can, I, can, I can plot this out, and our cost per acquisition is going to consistently go up and up and up, and acquisition is going to start to, to, to get more expensive and slow down. Mm -hmm. so, so for me, so I'm kind of saying, look, I can present an alternative view of this by playing to our strengths. And you either back me or you don't, right? This is, this is one of those moments where you stick your neck on the line. And we'll, we'll time box it, right? If, if you give me an extra couple of million pounds, let's revisit this in, in, in six months' time and, and see whether we've made headway in getting into that chasing pack of, of, of major telco brands or not. Mm -hmm. um, let's see what's happened to our CPAs over, over that period. You know, mm -hmm. Implicitly, I'm kind of saying, if I'm wrong, you, you can, of course, of course, fire me. Um, fortunately, we went wrong. It, 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 it was a different way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, and it got us on a better path. No, I like that. It's great. I think it's having a bit of bravery as well in your approach to these decisions as well. 100%. There's, 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 there's been a few in... I never set out to be the CEO. I think I, I sort of ended up here because over time um, I put my neck on the line, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think, you know, if, if you're a marketer in the room that ultimately wants to be a CEO, and I would suggest there's probably not many because making TV ads is way more fun, got to be honest. Um, but if, but, if, but if, you, if you do want to be the CEO, certainly my way of doing it was, was not to work 23 hour days. It, it was more trying to make smart and bold decisions at the right point um, because people notice that. Um, and, 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 you know, yeah, it changes yeah. people's perception. No, that's really interesting. Good point. Um, we talk about community here, and I think there's this sort of idea that it's all very warm and loving and everyone's <laughs> great and isn't it nice. But there are obviously challenges that come with that approach. And, you know, there's a reality that you are running a business and you're going to have to sometimes disappoint members or, you know, disagree with them. And yet they feel like they're part of that brand and you're kind of telling them no. How do you manage that tension? First, first off, lean into the healthy tension, right? If you're doing something wrong, you want people to tell you. You know, you don't want to be walking around with spinach in your teeth. So, so for the relationship we have with our member community, about, to give it a size and scale, about a quarter of a million of our members use the community on a, on a, on a given month. So, so if they think we're doing something wrong, they, they're, they're quite vocal about it. Internally, you know, and, and this is you know, part of the culture we've created, there's also a very high degree of personal caring you know, from everyone that works within the team. So, so you kind of want that to surface about, well, what is the right thing to do? Um, and then you can have the serious conversation about, well, what is the next thing that we do do? And, and I did have to have a bit of serious chat with the whole team um, a couple of years back because I felt like the way that we make decisions, you know, shouldn't be rooted in the past. It should be inspired by the past. Because otherwise, if there's a danger that you turn up into a, like a tribute act to yourself, you know what I mean? And it's not, it's kind of, it's not the product features that define us. It, it's, it's, the, it's the reason we ended up with those product features. So obviously being a, a marketer by trade, 
most things right fit into a Venn diagram or a two by two, don't they? So, so, so I drew a, a Venn diagram to explain this and said, look, the, the, the way Giftcraft makes great decisions is first off, it's got the reference point of our GAB, our founders know. So, mm -hmm. so it's, it's values driven. But it can't be values driven in isolation because if you're only values driven, maybe you don't get to be big. And if you're not big, you don't change anything. Right? So, so yeah, be values driven. But you've also got to make very commercially savvy choices uh, about what you're doing and what sequence you do it in because, because you want to get scale. Right? And you want permission to keep breathing new life into those values. And, and the third part of the, of, of the equation for me, which is why the proximity of, of your customer base or members, as we call them, is so crucial, is, is the power of insight. You know, I mean, long gone are the days I have done it, but, you know, the, the marketing team lock themselves in a dark room and come out with the answer and tell everyone to build it and tell them, you know, it's going to be fine, everyone, it'll work. You know, that's, that's, that's not the way we should be doing things. Do, you know, have the, have the open channels of communication Try and discover the insight, test the insight, you know, um, incrementally pivot, learn, uh, and do it that way. How do you find, um, obviously there's been a lot of polarization currently, both politically and, you know, the K-shaped um, recovery after COVID, and there's lots of kind of, the world seems to be more and more polarized, and you're dealing with a community that's sitting across all those different, um, having those different attitudes. Have you seen there's more kind of tension in the community or it's more fractious when you're kind of trying to come up with these decisions? I think, I mean, the community are reasonably constant. You know, they're on my case at the moment because it's something they want us to build and we can't actually build it yet. So, you know, there's just technical reasons why we can't do it. Um, so there's a bit of tension there, but, but you know, you, you kind of manage that tension. In many ways, it's the tension internally that is there's the, the, there's the most challenging thing to just to harness mm -hmm. um but it's worth it but, I, but i'm really keen that everyone has an opinion but if everyone has an opinion it means that everyone can be right can they you know so yeah. so ultimately it's just it's managing that process of reaching a consensus of, of, of what is the right thing to do mm -hmm. I, I mean i quite like the fact and um you know mark was talking about uh, tom and, and when he, he was he was our brand director he loved the fact that gift was quite my might you know, because we were we were quite niche and quite spike, spiky then. You know, now we're quite big. Um, but I still don't mind being a little bit of marmite. You know, I mean, it's like you know, we're running a hotel, not a prison. So, so the, there is a certain way of doing things. And if you don't like it, then God bless you. You know, you're more than happy to leave and pursue your career elsewhere. But there's lots of us that believe in what we're doing and want to put our heart and soul into making it better. You know, so you know. Yeah. People are free to choose, I guess. Interesting. And I think as a leader personally, not being able to have that top-down control that most kind of companies would have and sort of giving that power over to the, the people, how, what qualities do you need personally as a leader that's different from perhaps the leader of a more traditional company? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely petrifying, by the way. I hope I'm not sat here, you know, talking about some kind of utopian dream. Where, <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's really hard. Um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And I mean, going, one of the first times I really saw the power of the community, we were, we were launching into, uh, we'd launched this SIM-only business and, and we were moving into handsets. And as part of the build, um, we couldn't support Maestro payments, if you don't remember that, and you used a little symbol on the back of your car. 
and, and we, they just couldn't do it. Um, but we, we forgot to tell the community that we weren't going to support Maestro when selling cars. So two weeks out before the big go live day, um, financial controller said, like, ah, I, didn't tell, I didn't tell the community. Uh, I'll tell them now, I'll be fine. Um, so she told them. And it, you got, you know, like that thing that your parents say when they're disappointed in you. It was that. It was like, you've changed. It's just, I'm, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. So you know I mean, that, that kind of feedback. And there was a wave of it. And, it. and she told them, I think, on the Friday. And it had built over the weekend. And I was, I was kind of watching it. And I came in on the Monday, you know, and this is a long way of answering your question. Really. But, but sometimes you, you, you've just got to say, like, hold, it's okay, we'll weather this one, mm -hmm. we stand by the decision we made. Or sometimes you've got to say, do you know what, we screwed up, and we need to demonstrate that we've listened and we're going to fix it. Mm -hmm. So I came in that day on the Monday and I said to our then CEO and said, look, we screwed up and we need to fix it. He said, I totally agree. Um, we called in technology and technology said, okay, I think we found a way of fixing it. And I was like, I love this business. Do you know what I mean? It's got... It's got the humility to know that we, we got something wrong. And then, and we've seen it played out time and time, time again, you know, but the kind of recovery paradox that, you know, you don't want to litter your, your, your kind of time with your customers with a load of mistakes, but a mistake every once in a while isn't so bad because it gives you the opportunity to prove who you really are. Mm. And, and two days later, we went out to the community and said, we said, you know what, we're going to fix Maestro. We're going to push the launch back of handsets by another couple of weeks, but we'll get Maestro. And for me, that was a real defining story of, of what GiftCap was all about. Mm. Um, but there is a tension there of knowing when you have to act and sometimes holding your ground and saying, it's okay, we stand by what we've done. Um, we will do the right thing. Sometimes it takes a little longer to get there than you would like. No, that's fair enough. Now, you've been CEO now for four years and yeah, Chief Marketing Officer yeah. before that. Yeah. Talk to me about the transition between <laughs> CMO to CEO, what were the changes that you had to personally make in order to step into that leadership position? So, as CMO, um, I had a really strong idea of, of what I thought GiveCap should be. And uh, I wasn't shy in, in, in sharing that. Um, so there was a strong narrative coming out of marketing, which was saying, you know, this is your story, one of followers. And then, we all work in one room, or we used to before COVID happened, but you know, we now virtually work in one room, but everyone's pretty close. And I, so all I did was change desks when I got the CEO job. But all of a sudden, everything felt quite different. Because I was now talking to everybody, and 60% of GiftCAF are, are actually technology folks. You know, most of them are software engineers. And, and I felt like maybe my narrative's not going to cut through in the same way. I need to... I need to challenge myself to, to think differently. And then you go off on a bit of a journey of, of, well, I need to be a little bit different. And, and ultimately, I think you arrive back with the conclusion that maybe you just need to be like you. And I had a very powerful uh, coaching moment where um, I was with my boss and he thought I was procrastinating over quite a big decision. Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. Um, but he said to me, he said, listen, Ash, he said, this is going to play out one of three ways. He said, you're either going to make the decision and, and it plays out for you, happy days, 
You're going to make the decision and you get it wrong. Bad luck. You know, are you going to try and be someone else? What do you think happens then? Silence. So, I mean, and at that moment, I felt about six. Um, but as I left, the, I left the room, I felt like a giant because all that kind of burden of trying to be maybe someone I wasn't had been lifted. And I was like, no, I'm just going to do this how I think it should be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but where I ended up ultimately was that, you know, I'm a marketing brand guy, but I'm running a technology company. But in my mind, that's quite simple. Well, I'm running brand-led tech. We're a brand-led technology company. Brand- technology is nothing without the insight. Um, and the insight is nothing without the ability to, to action it. Mm-hmm. So, so the kind of unity, if, if we can kind of get to the point where every software developer deeply cares about how people are going to feel on the back of the code they're writing and experience they're about to consume, and equally, if marketers can start thinking in a much more lean UX mindset and borrow a lot of the disciplines from tech, I think we'll be fine for, for some time to come. Great. No, I think we're out of time nearly, so I've just got two more questions if I can sneak them in. Is that Okay. Great, so one is just on that point about marketers, do you think that they should feel more confident about what they bring to the table having seen both sides of the picture now? Yeah, I'd say, you know, be, be brave. If you, if you believe in something, um, check it out with a few trusted people before you do this. They check it, it's a really good idea. But make the case, you know, but make the case in, in, in the language that the board and investors understand, which is really, what is it gonna do to my top line? What's it gonna do to my bottom line? Click-through rates ain't going to cut it, you know what I mean? So, so it's like, how are you going to affect value creation? Mm-hmm. Tell, tell that story and tell them something fresh and different that maybe they haven't done before because that is always a great thing to hear. Perfect. And then my final question is for the audience, what if they were thinking they want to also follow this sort of model of customer as member, what one piece of advice would you give them about where to start on that journey? Um, start by starting is one of my favourite phrases. Often we procrastinate don't we and we think well we're going to do that that sounds quite big we should probably plan it for 12 months um it's like no actually just start having conversations <laughs> you know just just invite invite some customers in create a panel start just just start doing it and and it will take on its own um life form then do you know what i mean but keep pushing it be committed to it be prepared to hear bad news welcome the bad news do something about it you know, and build, build out from there. So start by starting, I think is probably the best advice. Great, and we'll end by ending. So thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this Advocacy Engineered presentation. To find out more about Mention Me and how our advocacy-first approach could drive growth for your business, visit mention-me.com.